We're going to regroup, and we're talking about uh, uh, Matthew 24, and I'm going to go a little slower this week, okay, and try to get you out here early, um, because we went over. That's the Southwest policy. If you go over, if the flights are longer, the next flight's got to be a little shorter, right? So we're going to fly a little shorter today. Uh, we, have, we do have communion this morning, too, so after the service, we'll be uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper. Um, let me just... Uh, you know, start, I read this this morning. It's so so cute. You know, just like I, this lady says, I heard this unexpected knock on the door, and like I always do, I open the peephole and ask who was there. Uh, FedEx, ma'am, I have a package that needs a signature. Where's the package? I asked suspiciously, and the delivery man held it up. Could I see some ID? I said, still not convinced. Lady, he replied wearily, if I wanted to break into your house, I'd probably use these. And he pulled out the keys from the front door that I'd left in. <laughs> All right. So it's the, we're in Matthew 24. And uh, remember, there were three questions that the disciples asked. Uh, what would be the, are we good? You guys need to pass out sermon notes or anything? Anybody need a copy of sermon notes? If you do, just raise your hand. We'll, we'll make sure you get a copy. Um, and as they're passing those out, let me just kind of recap. We were talking about the three questions that the disciples asked. They wanted to know when they came out of the temple and they, they uh, just, you know, pointed out how beautiful the temple was. And we know that it was. It was like probably one of the seven wonders of the world or maybe the number one wonder of the world at that time. It was incredibly beautiful uh, style and architecture and the way it was built and the quality and gold and silver and all the things that went with it. It was just, you know, a sight to behold. And they asked this question, uh, or they asked the question, you know, Jesus, do you see this? And Jesus said, I tell you, this: not one stone will remain upon another. Uh, and it's just like, you know, that was just like, what? I mean, you're talking about God's house, God's house, and you're saying not one stone? And some of these stones we, we know today weighed 40, uh, 40 tons. I mean, these weren't just like little rocks in the wall. I mean, these were huge stones. And, and he's saying that not one stone will remain upon another and all will be torn down. And it was just like they wanted to know. All right, the questions began to arise. You know, when is this going to happen? And what is going to be the sign of your coming and uh, the end of the age? And so um, I want to just kind of pick up here. Um, we talked a little bit last week about what we call the rapture, how we feel like the church won't go through uh, a time of this great tribulation. Uh, but there's some other questions that they ask, and let's just kind of pick up in verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, and we're going to come back and talk about that in a moment, let the reader understand, then let those that are in Judea flee to the mountain, let those that are on the rooftop uh, of his house not go down to take anything out of his house, let no one that's in the field go back to get his cloak, how dreadful it would be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight be not uh, take place in the winter or on the Sabbath, and the reason that that would, uh, that would be a burden for them, because, you know, even today in Israel, there's no transportation on the Sabbath. And then there will be great distress, or what we called, I think the King James says, tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, and notice the grace of God, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. There's so much in here 
that I could just, we could camp here for a long time, but I just want to, I just want to give you a, just a, a quick overview and point out some things and pray that the Holy Spirit uh, stirs your heart. You go back and kind of study it on your own. But uh, he's talking about, he, he talks about this time of great tribulation. Uh, and as I mentioned, there's two accounts of this, both in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 21. And they both talk about uh, uh, the same thing. They both, both, you know, both of them heard these words of Jesus. And one of them, Luke kind of focuses on the immediate question, when is this temple going to be destroyed? And we know that happened in 70 AD under Titus. Um, but there's an interesting thing in there, and I just, I, I just want to point this out. There's an interesting statement in there. He says that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, and, and so as we think about that, we know that the destruction of the temple came in 70 AD. But if you're looking for a sign, and you're already in Jerusalem, and you see Jerusalem surrounded by an army, you know, how is that a sign? How, how is that a sign for you? If you're going to give me a sign, give me something that will help me right now. And So let me just back up and explain what happened. Um, prior to 70 A.D., another a Roman general came in at 66 A.D. and uh, surrounded Jerusalem. And that would have been the sign to the Jews that were inside the city. The, the city was surrounded, and then there, were the, there was a Jewish revolt that was happening during this time, and many of the Jews that were there went out and began to attack the Roman supply lines. And so in 66 or 67 uh, AD, this Roman general had to back off from the siege and go and fight those that were attacking the supply lines, all right? So they broke away from the city. If you were in the city at that point and you heard the words of Jesus that when you see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then those that are in the city should flee. All right, so when he backs up, and uh, when this Roman general, the first Roman general, backs up and leaves, there was a break in the action, all right? Uh, if you heard those words of Jesus, and you remember the words of Jesus, when the city is surrounded, leave, quickly leave. You have an opportunity. You have this window. But if you did not hear those words of Jesus, or you didn't believe those words of Jesus, what you might say is, hey, you know, he left. We won. You know, they're gone. We survived. We made it. But a year later, Titus, the Roman general, comes back, and he lays siege to the city again. This is in about 68 A.D. And for two years, there was a siege in the city. And, and notice what he did. If you were going up to the city, if you wanted to go to, up to Jerusalem to keep the feast, if you wanted to go up to the temple, Titus would let you in the city. He would let, you know, hundreds and thousands would come every year to go up and worship the Lord. And he would let you in the city with the promise that he would let you out, but he didn't. And in the process of doing that, what happened is that the food was being depleted on a more rapid basis, okay? And so, and then that's Luke. Luke kind of focuses on that. Matthew kind of focuses on the end of the age. At the end of the world, the same thing is going to happen. You can see the nations, the armies of the world coming, gathering against Jerusalem. So I'm going to stop there, and I just want to pick up and just kind of comment on this uh, 77s, uh, uh, 
that are talked about in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. This is what Jesus was referring to when he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. In verse 24, and, and let me just kind of lay this, uh, kind of set this up. Daniel is um, in captivity. He's almost 70 years into the captivity. He is reading the book of Jeremiah that was written some 70 or 80 years before he even goes into captivity. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and in the book of Jeremiah, it says, Jeremiah writes prophetically that the Babylonian captivity, Nebuchadnezzar's going to come up, he's going to lay siege to the city, and, or to Jerusalem, and he's going to take the Jews to captivity, and that's going to last for about 70 years. And so Daniel is fasting and he's praying and he's seeking God. And bingo, man, he, he reads this and he said, wait a minute. Jeremiah said there's going to be about 70 years that we're here. And we came on such and such day. We're near the end of this. And he begins to pray. And he begins to seek the face of the Lord. And he's thinking that this is over. And it really wasn't over. And I don't want to go into why it wasn't over at that point. It was over as far as the captivity was concerned. But the, the time of Jacob's trouble was not over. And so uh, this uh, Daniel's seeking God. He's praying to God. God, what, you know, I mean, show me something. And this angel appears to him. And the angel, listen to what the angel says, 77s. And um, sevens, 77s are blocks of time. And if you look other places in the Old Testament, you'll see that it typically uh, refers to years. It doesn't refer to weeks, and it doesn't refer to months. But he says the 77s are 70 times 7, which is 490 or 490 years, are decreed for your people and your holy city, talking about Jerusalem, to finish. Now notice this, the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for the wickedness, and if you've got another translation, some of your translations will say iniquity. And those are the three things, guys, that we deal with. We deal with sin, and we deal with transgression, and we deal with iniquity. And let me just share with you just briefly what that means. Sin, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that we sin, we can sin, it's, I can do it accidentally. I can just like, you know, uh, I, I fall short of the, the glory of God. I miss the mark of God. It doesn't mean that I necessarily am, am intending to do it, but I just sometimes we all fail. We've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. We've all done stupid things, dumb things. We've all sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. Uh, this, the second meaning or the second word is transgression. Transgression is when I know what God's word says, and basically I'm saying, God, I don't care. I, I don't care. I don't care what you say about sex. I don't care what you say about marriage. I don't care what you say about lying or stealing. This benefits me now. This is going to help me now. And I am going to trample on your word, okay, and I am going to transgress your word, even though I know it's wrong. I'm going into this with my eyes wide open, knowing what your word says, and I don't care, is really what transgression is. And then when we get to iniquity, iniquity is that because we've been raised in such a way, we talk about the sins of the fathers being passed on to other generations, 
or it's kind of like this learned behavior that we have. It's kind of like this. We, we, we had this, uh, this uh, continual pattern of sin in our life. It's kind of like the way that we're bent. We're bent this way. It's kind of like this is the way that we want to go. And, and so we've got to deal with sin. And when we confess our sin, I know we all confess our sin, but do we confess our transgression and do we confess our iniquity? I think the Lord wants us to confess all three. We'll have an opportunity to do that before we take communion. So he says, 77s or 490 years are decreed for your people into the holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and atone for wickedness or iniquity, and to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. It's not, I mean, it's written there. God wants us to understand it. He doesn't want his word to be hidden from us. He says, no one understand this. Uh, he says, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. All right, this is at the end of that 70-year period. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar takes them in. And at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, there was another. Remember during his reign, he had this vision. He sees this, this great big statue, head of gold and you know, the breastplate of silver and uh, the, the uh, loins of uh, brass and legs of iron and, and feet of iron and clay. He sees this incredible statue there, and those represent the different kingdoms. And when the second kingdom came in, after Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus comes in under the Medes and the Persians, and he gives this order. He says, you know, I mean, just God put it on his heart. You know, the interesting thing about this is that before Cyrus, before Cyrus was even born, his name appears in the word of God. And God says, I'm going to raise up my servant Cyrus, and this is what he's going to do. And Cyrus just, he, he shows up, and he, you know, I'm sure Daniel's like, hey, dude, look, your name's like written in the book, the word of God right here. We knew you were coming. We knew about 100 years ago you were coming. I'm glad you're here. And so when he shows up, you know what he does? He says, you know what? I don't like what Nebuchadnezzar did. I don't like the fact that he took the Jews from Jerusalem. I'm letting everybody go back. In fact, I'm ordering everybody to go back. Here's a writing. Here's a decree. Go back and go back and build the temple and rebuild the city. And so what the word is saying here, and Daniel still hasn't seen it yet. It's just about getting ready to happen in Daniel's life. He says, but no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which Cyrus ordered to happen, until the anointing, uh, the, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens, or 49 years. So he breaks this up in blocks of time. 49 years, seven sevens, and 62 sevens. And so he says that there, notice these, these blocks of time. So after the order to rebuild the city, that would be 49 years. And then from then, there would be 62 sevens, or 434, I think that's what it is, that 434 years. Anybody got a good math mind here? Yeah, 434 years from the, after the city was rebuilt, he's saying there's going to be 434 years. Now, check this out. 434 years after the city was rebuilt. Are you guys, you guys still with me this morning? We're not Johnny Be Good, okay? We're, we're tracking, okay? Okay, 434 years. 434 years later, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that donkey. And they're laying those palm branches down, and they're declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's like many of the people that were standing there that day did their math, and they knew that 
the time for the Messiah to come is now. And so they show up. And so that's 69 sevens, and that leaves one seven left. And, you know, the, it's just kind of like God's calendar stopped after the resurrection of Jesus. It's just like God's calendar stopped, and God began to focus on the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so there's that one week left, and, and that's what he talks about here. He says... Uh, uh, he says, uh, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble and after 62 sevens, the anointed one, talking about Jesus, will be cut off and will have nothing, and the people and the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood, and war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed, and he, talking about somebody to come in the future, this one person that's going to come that would be the one world ruler, we also know him to be the Antichrist, he says he will confirm a covenant an agreement with many, talking about the Jews, for one seven or a seven-year period, but in the middle of that seven-year period, at three and a half years, he will put an end. He comes in and he says, okay, I'm making an agreement, I have it in covenant with you, go ahead and rebuild the, the temple, you can start your sacrifices, everything is fine. Jews, I mean, Jerusalem is buzzing, everybody's excited, they're happy, we've got the right to have the temple again. Thank you. take that as a sign I'm getting a little raspy all right so it says in the middle of the seven in the middle of that three and a half year period he will put an end he starts this thing he says okay you guys can do it and in the middle he shuts it off and he says you know what there's not going to be any worship for anybody or anyone except for me and he sits up himself in the temple that the Jews have only been in for about a three and a half year period and this is what Jesus is referring to as the abomination of desolation. And I said all of that to say this. You know, that um, when we look at passages of Scripture like this, you know, I know two, two different types of people. People that never look at the book of Revelation or people that always look at the book of Revelation. It's just where they live and where they camp. There's got to be balance in our lives when we think about these things. And when we read these things, you know, we can, we, we can read it with dread and with fear and with horror, and we think, oh my gosh, it's just so, it's so bleak. It's such a, 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 a dark, dismal picture. I don't even want to go there. I don't, even want to, I don't want my mind to think about it. I want to go to a happy land. I want peaceful thoughts, quiet thoughts, you know. I need to find a happy place in my mind. But remember last week we talked about how God knows how to spare his people from judgment. And let me just kind of run through a few of these, okay? Uh, we see this. We talked about how Lot uh, was uh, escaped the judgment of Sodom. We talked about how Noah, God saw Noah as a righteous man, and he delivered Noah and his family, put them in the ark. And that seven-day period kind of was representative of the seven-year period that the church would be in heaven while the tribulation period's going on. And I know that there are some that think, well, oh, I don't know if I, I agree or not, but I found a couple more scriptures for you skeptics, okay? And uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Um, but listen to this. He says, watch this. this. This is the judgments that are being poured out on, on Egypt. You guys remember that? We've got the great deliverance there, Passover. But before that, when God begins to bring out all these judgments through Moses, 
it says that uh, the Lord, this is in uh, Exodus chapter 9, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to an Israelite will die. And the Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land, then the next day the Lord did it. And all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to an Israelite died. And Pharaoh can't believe it. He's like, and Pharaoh sent man to investigate and found out that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. And then here comes the hail. Uh, Exodus 9.23, and so the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell, lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land that Egypt has ever seen since it became a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and women and animals, beat down everything growing in the field and stripped every tree. The only place where it did not hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. And then we read Exodus chapter 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt, and darkness that can be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone unless uh, else to leave. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had light where they lived. So you see the difference that God knows how to, you know, he knows how to deliver the godly, the righteous, you know, that, uh, you know, God is able to, to be there with you. So we don't have to fear these things, even though it looks dark for the world, God is our God. And so remember the disciples are asking these questions, they're asking questions and they're getting answers, and I think the answer is probably more complicated than the questions they thought that they were answering, but they're asking, you know, what will the signs of this be? And Jesus said, you know, uh, you know, that he, they're talking about the destruction of the temple. When are you going to come? When are you going to establish your kingdom rule? You know, and so Jesus talks about, you know, the rapture, and he starts talking about the second coming. Well, keep in mind, they didn't even realize there was going to be a first departure. They didn't even know that he was getting ready to leave. And, and Jesus is telling them about a, a rapture and, and a second coming. And so when we look at this, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we can, when we read these scriptures, we can either be so futuristic you know, that it's just like we think about the future, or, you know, as Christians, we can be so historic, you know, the past. We can either, we, live, we can live in the past, or we can live in the future. But I'm, what, I, what you need to hear me saying today is that God wants you to live today, okay? I mean, you know, we don't have tomorrow. James says that. He said, don't talk about tomorrow, about you're going to go buy and sell and do this in this town or that town. He said, you don't have tomorrow. And, and we can't redeem. You know, we get so messed up about, you know, our lives, what we did or what we should have done, regret and remorse, shame and things that we've done in the past, that those things hold us back. Or we're so fearful of the future that it's just like, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like God let me down in the past, and I'm just afraid of tomorrow. You know, my marriage is not working out. I didn't get married. I didn't marry the person that I wanted to marry. Or my job's not working out. Or my school didn't work out. All of these things, it's just kind of like, you know, we just go back and forth and we, we reminisce and, and, you know, it's like, you know, even good things in our past. Uh, you know, many of you know, and we know, Nina and I do, uh, you know, kids that, you know, that are our age and they're not kids anymore, but they never graduated from high school and they never graduated from college. They're still there. They're still stuck there. 
And when you get around them, all they talk about, they want to talk about is, is the, you know, remember this football game. Remember this play I did. Remember that shot that I made. Remember that track meet. Remember this party or that party. They're locked in the past and they can't move forward. Or they're locked in the past of something that was so dreadful, so shameful, so, you know, horrible in their life that it's just like, they can't get past it. And I want to just tell you that, you know, that God is a God of today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not the day of salvation, and yesterday's not the day of salvation, but today is the day of salvation. We only have this one opportunity. It's today. I can't tell you that I love you tomorrow because I don't have tomorrow. I can tell you that I love you right now. I can tell you that I was wrong. I can confess my sins right now. I can't do it yesterday, and I can't do it tomorrow. I have this moment. I can't worship God tomorrow. I can only worship God in the now. And the God that we serve is a God of the now. He's not the God, even though there's a lot written about the history, and there's a lot written about the prophetic. There's a lot written about the past and what's going to happen in the future. But God is concerned about you and your life right now. Are you guys with me? All right. So, you know, uh, the, the Bible tells us that faith operates today. You know, that, that faith is operate, it's operating right now. And God is, to, God is as great today as he will ever be. He's not going to be any greater tomorrow or next week or next year. And the trap that we fall into, guys, the tra- when we read this prophetic stuff, the trap that we fall into is that we think, that God is going to do something in the future, but he's not doing anything right now. I want you to know that God is doing stuff right now. That, you know, that God is able to deliver you right now, that God is able to heal you right now. God is able to kill all your giants right now. He's able to part the sea for you right now. He's able to make a way for you right now. Our God is able to do it today and right now, and he's concerned about you right now. This morning in the service, God is concerned about you. All right? All right, we're going to move on. Let me just read a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to bring this to a close. In Psalm 119, it says, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your faithfulness, God's faithfulness to all generations, not just some select generations and not just some select group of people. His faithfulness uh, continues to all generations. In Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is not that he was and not that he will be that when we come to God we must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and then in Hebrews 13 5 it says that he himself said I will never leave you and never forsake you and I want you to just notice that we, we use that scripture a lot but there are two promises in the one scripture one is that God will never physically leave you He's going to be with you. Jesus said, I'll be with you. And Matthew 28 tells the disciples, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. But the second is, the second part of that scripture is that he will never turn his heart away from you. And, you know, you can forsake a person and never leave that person. You can, I mean, you can be with someone and, and, and you've already left them. You're not sensitive to them. You're not sensitive to their needs or to their wants or their, their desires. It's like the light is ho- on and nobody's home. It's like you're there, but you don't care. 
And God's saying that I will never physically leave you and I'll never forsake you. I, I'm concerned about you and I, and I care about you forever, for eternal or eternity. I'm concerned about you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and again, in an acceptable time I've heard you and now is, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow and not yesterday. It's, it's about God and you in this moment, in this moment in time. So let me, just three points that I, I want to bring up. And uh, that is that we've got to leave the past. Some, some of us are stuck in the past. and You know, we've been there forever. But lo, notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. I haven't learned all that I should even yet. But I keep working toward the day when I finally will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all that I should be, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, that God wants to do something in his life and God wants to do something in your life. And 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone. The old way, the old life is gone. The new has come. And so let me just say this to you, if I can, just as uh, honestly as I can. Look, uh, Lennon and Harrison are dead. The Beatles are not going to get back together, okay? They're not going to regroup, all right? you got to accept it. Star Trek has been terminated. Gunsmoke has been terminated. It's over. That is over. It's past. It's in the past. And we've got to move forward, okay? Stop living in the past. Amen? All right. Um, so, the, I, you know, God wants us to live in, in this present. And I want to just tell you that Satan will do everything that he possibly can do to either to get you to live in the fear of the future or regret and remorse of the past. But God's saying, I want you today. I need you right now. I want, I want to worship you. I want to commune with you. Let's stop putting this off. Remember, you know, some of the men were coming to Jesus and they'll say, Lord, I'll follow you, but first I've got to do this. I, I've got something else that needs to happen before I can get serious about you. And God's saying, you know what, folks? I want you to be serious about me. I want you to be serious about our love relationship, you know, your forgiveness of sin, the work of Calvary's cross. I don't want you to be thinking about it tomorrow, even yesterday. I want you to be thinking about that right now and our relationship at this very moment. Notice in Psalm 44, um, David says, my disgrace is before me all day long, talking about his sin and his shame and his guilt, and my faith is covered with shame. At the taunts of those that reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. Now listen to this. You know, the enemy is always there. That's one of the things we're going to read in just a moment that Satan will always do. He's always accusing you. Remember what you did. Remember how you did this. Remember when you, you know, it's just like remember, remember, remember. And, you know, we look, uh, Revelation chapter 12, he says, and I heard a loud voice in, in heaven. And this has got to be revelation to you because once you know not only who the enemy is, but what he does and what his plan is, then, you know, it kind of gives you a better grip on, on how to move forward. All right, he says, I heard with a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser, the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down 
who, who accuses them day and night before God. Let me just give you a beautiful example of how that works, okay? Uh, in Zechariah chapter 3, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. All right, guys, I want you to get this, all right? This is, uh, this is Zechariah standing there, and he's seeing Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And many translations will show that those are pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Uh, regardless of who it is, um, you, just get the picture. The high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched out of the fire? Now, get a hold of this. Joshua, the high priest, is standing there next to the angel of the Lord and Satan is there and Zechariah is there and Satan is accusing the high priest before the angel of the Lord or before Jesus. He's bringing this accusation. And it's like Jesus isn't even looking at him. He's just focused on the high priest. And now, let's continue on. And then it says that the angel of the Lord rebukes the high priest, I mean the Satan, and uh, and he says, is not this man a burning stick snatched out of the fire? Now Joshua was dressed uh, filthy as he stood before the angel. And the angel uh, said to those that were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then he said, put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. All right, here's the picture. Satan is saying, you know, look at this. You know, and, and guys, we're talking about the high priest. I mean, this is like the pick of the litter. I mean, this is, this is the guy that once a year goes into the Holy of Holies. This is the guy that brings the blood in. This is the guy on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, brings the atonement for sin. This is the guy. And Satan is saying, look at him. He's filthy. And he's not talking about his clothes. He's talking about sin in his life. I mean, you got your best man there, the high priest, the one that one and only man that can go in the Holy of Holies every year, and Satan is saying he's filthy. He's absolutely filthy. Look at him. Bring in this accusation against him. You know what? If Satan's going to do that with Jesus and the high priest, don't you think that he would do that to you as well? Look at you. Look, look at the way you live your life. Look at the way you think. Look at what you're doing. What's the matter with you? You call yourself a Christian. These are the kind of accusations that, you know, that we deal with. But I love this because the picture is that Jesus is looking at Joshua, the high priest, and it's just kind of like never really even pays attention, never even takes a moment to look over at Satan. He's just like looking at the high priest, and he's saying, you know what? And, and, then, and then Jesus says something that's really, really pretty cool. He said, this is a branch that was taken out of the fire. You know what that means? He's like, I know. Jesus like, I know what he's like. I know what his life has been like. I reached into the fire. He was bound for destruction. I reached in the fire, and I have taken him out. And now I am going to clothe him with righteousness. I'm going to cleanse him. 
He's going to be my man, just like you and you and you and you are going to be his man and be his woman because of what he's done. And so as long as we've got our eyes on Jesus and we don't listen to what the devil is saying, God is going to do the same thing to you that he did for Joshua. He's going to deliver you from the fire, the trouble that you're in right now, the mess that you've got, you got yourself into. You're going to forget the past, not be fearful of the future because God's got a plan and a purpose for you right now today. Amen? All right. And then the, finally, the third point is that uh, when we talk about looking into the future, well, all right, let me just, uh, verse in Matthew 24, he says, no matter, no matter how bleak the future looks, he talks about immediately after the tri tribulation of those days, distress and sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies will be shaken. We can look at that and we just say, oh my God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to face that. But I want to just tell you that every one of those passages of Scripture talks about him being there, that God being in our future. And I want you to know that God is in your future as well. It's not just like for today, but God is there. The Bible says in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And, and listen to what, what David says here. He says, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, and though the waters roar and the foam and the mountains quake and they're surging. You know, as we look at Revelation, when you look at Jesus starting to open those seals and you see the four horsemen coming, I mean, it's a, it's a fearful, dreadful thing. And, you know, what David is saying is, though I see, if I see the heavenly bodies shaken, if I see the sun turned to darkness, if I see a third of the trees burned up and a third of the water destroyed and a third of the sea destroyed, even though I see, see all those things, I'm not going to be alarmed because I know my God is there. Amen. You need to know that your God is there as well. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us throw off everything. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, that... Uh, you know, if, if we think about the future, if, you just, if you're living for the future, let me just you know, make this comment. If you're living for the future and not living for the, for the day, you know, living for the future is like walking to the horizon. It's just like the more you walk, the more it seems to move. You guys remember that, that show, The Little Rascals, you know? Anybody remember that? Any, got any oldies in here? Some of you will remember. Well, in the, in the show The Little Rascals, they had this little cart and they had a donkey that would uh, kind of pull the cart. But when they wanted the, the donkey to move, they put a carrot on a cane pole and put it in front of the donkey. And so he's like constantly trying to get that carrot. He's always like walking and he never can get it. And when we live for the future, that's the way we are. We're always walking out there, walking, looking at the horizon, and we never get there. And that's the way the enemy wants to keep you. If he can keep you looking at the future or living in the past, then God won't be able to use you for today. And again, today is the day of salvation. It's what God wants to use us for. So let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then listen to this. I mean, this is just a beautiful scripture right here. You know, I, I, I use, I, I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But, you know, there's so many other scriptures that are like that. You know, Psalm 103, verse 12, it says that he, God, will separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. This is the heart of God. Now, think about this. This is even before Jesus. 
But if God, you know, wanted to be coy, if God wanted to hide himself, do you think that he would have taken the time to send his son Jesus to die for our sins? I mean, why bother? You know, if he's, if he's trying to be hard to find or hard to get to, but look at this right here. We'll close with this scripture. Here is those that are going to serve us. If you go back and start the preparation for communion in our worship team, if you guys will come back. Now, I want you to, I'm going to just, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and just listen to this. So don't look and don't look around and don't be distracted by all the movement. But Micah says, who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us, and you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And that would include our sins and our transgressions. This is God's saying that I want to do. I want to treat you like the high priest. Yeah, your garments may be filthy. They may be dirty today. And, you know, God hears all the accusations of the enemy. But the heart of God for you today is the same as it was for Joshua, the high priest. I want to cleanse you. I'm going to put new clothing on you. A white garment. It's the dress, the attire of the forgiven. It's the dress and the attire of the saints in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm going to cleanse you. And the way that he does that is that when we simply just come to the cross and we bow our knee and say, Lord, we've made, I've made mistake after mistake after mistake in my life. Um, I'm asking you, Lord, today to come into my life. I ask that you would forgive me my sin and my transgression and my iniquity. Lord, where I deliberately went out and, and just shook my fist in your face and said, I don't care what your word says. This is what I'm going to do. I've got this iniquity. I've got this bent in my heart, my life. I just seem to just run to this particular sin. Every time I sin, it's in this place. Lord, I, I'm confessing that to you. And I'm asking that you would forgive my sin and heal my iniquity and my transgression. David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Father, that's our prayer this morning. We pray, God, that you would change our hearts. You are in the heart-changing business. We pray that you would change our hearts.